With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Fearless, informative, and unfettered. Mark Morano is unleashed on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, coming at you today, we have uh, a net zero explanation of what's going on. People hear the phrase net zero, they hear it in relation to transportation, they hear it in relation to agriculture, they hear it in relation to energy, they hear it in relation to our breathing, to whether human hair should be recycled into clothing. Uh, I was on Canada's Rebel TV uh, just last week, I guess on Friday, and I was with um, the the great show, it's Ezra Levant's uh, uh, TV network that he founded. I was on with Sheila Gunn-Reed, who was co-hosting, and I they put up a one-minute clip with a lot of fun graphics and explanation, and it's me explaining it. So let's give this a try, and then I'll expand on it, but I think you'll enjoy this. It's sort of the uh, the net zero guide to agriculture for dummies, if you will. I've, I've tried to simplify it. Uh, this is clip one, let's roll tape. What this agenda demands in terms of agriculture, uh, first of all, just overall, it's the net zero means the intentional either collapse or severe restriction of energy, food, transportation, freedom of movement. In the case of food, they're looking for severe rationing of food. They're going after nitrogen-based fertilizer, which they say creates nitrous oxide, which is a warming agent. So that means cutting back on fertilizer means cutting back on high-yield agriculture, which in short means cutting back on plentiful food, which has been part of the green revolution that's fed billions throughout the world particularly since the 1960s. The other thing that net zero demands is methane restrictions. Grown meat, grown in steel vats, um, with uh, in a Petri dish, and then eventually printed on a 3D printer. They're softening us up by making food rationing to accept the bugs and the lab-grown meat. So in the case of the Netherlands, they were facing uh, up to 10,000 family-run small and medium farms being decimated by the, quote, climate compliance costs of net zero. They brought the tractors out. They blocked highways. They went to the, the, the state capital. The and to finish that story, the EU blinked. They went to the, the, the EU headquarters in Brussels and the EU backed off their 30% reduction goals for agriculture under net zero, at least for now. We have the Biden administration doubling down on EV mandates, but at the same time, pushing them a few years off. You have England where the Richie Rich, Richie Sunak, the prime minister is not listening to the uh, climate advisors anymore. You have Al Gore worried, <clears throat> excuse me, John Kerry terrified <clears throat> that, that the, the climate goals are being, um, shall we say, watered down. This is all good development. People are fighting back. The farmers are leading this revolution. And I think that was a simplest explanation. It's collapse of energy, food, transportation. And these are goals that are designed to make our lives miserable, to force small and medium-sized businesses out because they can't afford the climate costs and then forces them to go bankrupt. And then the big guys come in, big corporate retail, agribusiness, equity asset, billionaire, uh, billionaires themselves, billionaire funded. And this is how the great reset 
is in action. You will own nothing and be happy. Well, someone will own something. It just won't be you. So they are accurate about that. And at the core of net zero is this idea of sustainable development. And this is an important concept. One of the greatest travesties, if you will, under a Republican president. And no, I'm not going to talk about, you know, by the way, the second yeah, I always say Donald Trump getting involved with the two weeks to flatten the curve or 10 days to slow the spread and the COVID emergency declaration at the federal level, which again, led to all of these, gave everyone sort of the license, if you will, the governors to go crazy and become dictators overnight in COVID and mayors, was George H.W. Bush, 1992. He's running in a three-way race with Ross Perot, Bill Clinton for president. And George H.W. Bush, this is the first George Bush, followed Reagan, was elected in 1988, originally running for re-election in 92, gets talked into by his senior advisor, John Sununu. I shouldn't say he gets talked into, but he was, felt a lot of public pressure. And John Sununu defended George H.W. Bush going to the Rio Earth Summit. And the Rio Earth Summit was in Rio de Janeiro. This was the United Nations uh big confab. It was sort of like precursor to the climate uh, events. And these were big events. This was huge. There was very, very little. This is actually when I was red-pilled on Amazon rainforest and environmentalism because of Dixie Lee Ray doing daily reports from, for Rush Limbaugh's radio show from the Rio conference. And it was just eye-opening to me because I always thought, wow, I'm a Republican on everything except environment. Anyway, to set up this clip, this is the UN Sustainable Development Goals. George H.W. Bush went down there and signed the UN Rio Earth Treaty, which was later ratified by the US Senate. And this treaty, and you can actually see clips of uh, Barbara Boxer reading it into the uh, Senate record and all excited. This was perhaps the most sinister plan because this brought the sustainable development goals where everything was based on an environmental crisis. Every aspect of life would be regulated, controlled not just to the federal government level, but to state, local, local county boards of supervisors, the UN, all these foundations, environmental groups fund these sustainable development goals into reports, and they make them marketable down to the lowest level of local government. I shouldn't say lowest, but the localist level, meaning you know, not, not the federal level. And this is how they've been able to proceed. And this is how you get the smart cities, the 15 minute cities, the zoning, everything has to take into account the earth emissions uh, and this sort of precursor, if you will, to the environment, social governance, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Anyway, this is clip five, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which will explain that a little bit more, but it's really where we got started, at least in the United States, our, our Waterloo was George H.W. Bush signing that stupid Rio Earth Treaty. And by the way, the Rio Earth Treaty in 1992 also led to the creation of the Conference of Parties of the UN Climate Summits. And they started a few years after that. And that's what led to this whole UN climate treaty process, which then led to net zero. So clip five. Together, let us make sure we use artificial intelligence to enhance human dignity and serve the global good.
And there you have it. That is the AI, the UN Secretary General, talking about the Sustainable Development Goals. This is literally like Mao's agricultural revolution. This is like Stalin's five-year plans. They want to use AI to plan and predict climate disasters, crop yields. They want to centralize everything in terms of the, the, the earth as sort of this finite resource, which only the highest level intellects and experts with the most credentials can do it with the help of AI. This is what all of this led to. And, and don't say, and it's kind of like the way people say, well, Donald Trump in March of 2020, if he had known what we, no, I knew. People knew. I was on Ezra Levant's show March 9th or 10th, warning Donald Trump, warning against lockdowns, warning against public health, warning against Anthony Fauci. Decades earlier, people like Michael Fomento had exposed Anthony Fauci for the corrupt bureaucrat tyrant that he was. I had watched the way they tried to shut down the uh, vaping debate just a year earlier, pre-COVID. I knew Anthony Fauci was a fraud. I knew this was a mistake in my book. I go through many other people and Coulter rightly predicted this. Ezra Levant from Rebel News credits me with being the first person to speak out against the public health training. Again, this is before the lockdowns happened. I had been following public health. People knew. So I don't like that excuse. And the same thing in 1992, when George H.W. Bush got us in to the United States, into this whole mess. This is Paul Harvey, clip three, talking about the climate change agenda in 1992. This is why George Bush went to the Rio Earth Summit and signed it. And he, he says, never trust the paid for scientific studies. Paul Harvey is a beloved American newscaster. Uh, used to do the five-minute radio reports, uh, a veteran. He's now deceased, but this is from 1992. Give you a little snapshot into what we knew and how we could have prevented the whole United Nations climate hoax. Uh, clip three. Barely a week goes by, but what some researcher tries to scare us or trick us out of research money by claiming that the sky is falling. And with the willing complicity of Headline-hungry media, a recent crisis of the month had to do with global warming. An ozone hole is opening up over the United States, we were told, the effects of which were already measurable in an increase in skin cancer. Okay, I was hoping to get the full clip there. But Paul Harvey lays out the whole idea that climate change, the failed predictions, all the alleged studies that support it. And this is 1992. People knew. Don't let history be rewritten. We knew in March of 2020. I, If you go back, I can actually, if you look at my book, The Great Reset, I detail what was being said at the time, pre-lockdown, pre-COVID emergency declaration. Uh, so it is a... It is a world now where they're going to find tyranny and they're going to impose tyranny through crises, through fear. And again, it's not like this is, we're not like, oh, we're unique. They've never done this before. No, throughout history, the, the ruling class has done nothing. You can rely on one thing. They were going to look for ways and reasons why the rest of us could not be free. And that is what climate is. That is what COVID is. That is what terrorism is. That is what all the the, you know, the endless wars are about. And of course, that's what they're trying to do with you know gun violence and misinformation. And that's what they're trying to do now with this uh, pandemic treaty. 
One of my favorites is the uh, European MP, Christine Anderson. She's bat her battles with the Great Reset. This is a great clip of her explaining its agenda perfectly. I've shown several clips of her. Love to have her on the program one day. But let's go with clip four. Uh, member of Parliament, Christine Anderson of the EU, just telling it like it is, one of the truth tellers in the EU. The goal ultimately is to transform our free and democratic societies into totalitarian societies. Their goal is to strip each and every one of us of our fundamental rights of freedom, democracy, the rule of law. Look at the WHO. I mean, they were trying to seize executive powers of the member states. Uh, they are not accountable to us. They weren't elected by us. An unelected body like WHO, who is controlled and run by multi-billionaires, should never be allowed to act in place of a democratically elected government. We see this uh, on so many levels, how they're trying to actually take away uh, the people's right to elect their representatives and hold the politicians accountable. In the entire history of mankind, there has never been a political elite concerned about the well-being of regular people. And it isn't any different now. Just as she's absolutely right, went back through the history. It really isn't different now. I guess what I'm saying is we're not in a unique time in history. I guess the uniqueness of where we are is just obviously as time goes on, technological advancements have never been where they are now. Uh, in other words, a mere 70 years ago, 50 years ago, to impose tyranny on people, you had to have walls barbed wire, prison cells, guard towers, machine guns, cattle cars. Today's tyranny, they can deperson, unperson, debank, silence you, and cancel you at a moment's notice. Defund, cancel, make it so you can't even access your own money. Make it so you don't have insurance. Make it so you can't even use your own bank card. Make it so you're forced to get uh, vaccines or you can't participate in society. And make it so you can't afford to own anything. You'll own nothing, but hey, but you'll be happy. You'll have no privacy, but life will never be better. That's another slogan of the world economic forum. Frightening stuff, frightening stuff. This comes to us, this is clip two. National Security Administration Jake Sullivan on amending the Foreign um, Intelligence Surveillance Act to require a warrant for every for to, to for every query of lawfully collected data. In other words, this is our deep state national security state saying that we no longer need the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution, that it no longer serves the interests of the United States. Uh, so this is Jake Sullivan, NSA. We do not believe that basically the Fourth Amendment serves the national security interests of the United States. Play roll tape. On FISA, there are a couple of amendments that are being considered. One of them would require a warrant for every query of lawfully collected data. If that were to pass and get into the bill, would the president veto that bill? Uh, so I'm not in a position to stand here today and make veto threats on behalf of the president. Those are, are um, you know, decisions for him to make. What I will tell you is that we do not believe that that serves the national security interests of the United States. And in fact, today I will be making that case to a number of members 
uh, that the warrant requirement as conceived is not the best way actually to ensure the protection of the personal privacy of Americans. There are a number of other elements of the bill that we have supported that would reform and update FISA to protect the civil liberties of Americans. But a warrant requirement from our perspective would go too far in undermining the very purpose of FISA and frankly it would put victims at risk. In other words, to keep you safe, you no longer need the Fourth Amendment against illegal search and seizure. FISA, by the way, is a foreign intelligence uh, surveillance court. And interestingly enough, this was flagged by Edward Snowden uh, and others. And this is in the RNC, Republican National Committee as well, saying they don't believe it serves a national security interest that you don't need a warrant for every query of lawfully collected data. In other words, if they think the national security is at risk, or some grave danger to the safety and security, they can just bypass normal rules. Hey, and here's the thing. If you go back to the Bush-Cheney administration, now we're going back to like 2003, four, big debate about torture of terrorists to get information out of them. The problem was the Bush-Cheney, at the time, I remember thinking, well, they're not US citizens. No, once they do it to foreign nationals, they'll be doing it to citizens. And that's exactly what happened. The idea of wiretapping, a biosecurity state, a surveillance state, uh, we also empowered by the terrorism declaration of 9-11, emergency declaration also empowered by the Patriot Act, which actually passed Congress and the Senate, which is just an abomination on everything America allegedly stands for. Um, they will use it on U.S. citizens, and I, I mean, I, you know, it's, a, it's it's amazing how far you can come in your own political evolution. Because at the time, I'm like, oh, you know, it's just foreign; it's not U.S. citizens. Yeah, but they eventually will use it against U.S. citizens, and that's the bottom line on that. So, we live in a world where freedom is under assault, and the problem is, it's not like oh, Democrats versus Republicans. You Republicans, by and large, are mostly against the freedom agenda. There's a lot of good Republicans. I include Donald Trump among that, warts and all, so to speak. I do not include Mike Pence among that. I do not include Nikki Haley. I do not include Lindsey Graham. I do not include Senator Tim Scott. I do not include you know, Mitt Romney. I do not include Mitch McConnell. I do not include Kevin McCarthy. And any of those, those are the enemies is the way I see it, the names I just mentioned. Okay, Enough of that. We're going to be talking to, with uh, Donna Jackson today of Project 21. And we're going to talk about, I'll ask her, by the way, about uh, the, uh, the Biden administration's highest ranking female admiral saying that global warming disproportionately affects African-Americans. It's Black History Month. We're going to talk about the fate of African-Americans, where they stand. Uh, and she has testified before Congress. She's with Project 21. She's the Director of Membership Development. She'll be joining us right after the break. Stay tuned for Donna Jackson. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. TNT's James Freeman. Now, at the moment, um, the WHO operates in an advisory capacity globally. But all of that will change if amendments to the international health regulations go through, combined with the ratification of a new global pandemic accord. Um, it started off being called as a treaty, but they thought that would frighten everyone. Um, so they now call it a pandemic accord, but it is an international treaty. And if it goes through, it will give the WHO legal powers over all of its members. James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. 
The truth is, Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. Well, joining us now is Donna Jackson of Project 21. She's the director of development there. She's testified before Congress. Um, she is a, a, I guess you would say, a conservative civil rights activist, if you, for lack of a better phrase. Welcome to the program, Donna. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, let's start out. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, this last couple of days, but the highest ranking female in the Biden and uh, the Navy, uh, Admiral Rachel Levine, in quotes, Rachel, said climate change is having a disproportionate effect on black communities. And he gave a whole he I said he gave a whole speech about how climate change is going to harm African-Americans the most. couple questions. Is that true? And how concerned is the African-American are African-Americans in general are about climate change? Is that is that one of their top concerns? Is that something we need to address before the African-Americans can can uh, prosper in America? Okay, well, let me straighten her <laughs> statement out and correct it. It's climate change policies that are the most harmful to minority communities. When you look at the fact that the number one concern of minority communities is home ownership, building industries, intellect, all of these things are actually defeated and destroyed by climate change policy. Everything that we have in terms of these climate change policies have one primary goal, and that is to create artificial scarcity so that people are not able to afford to buy a new home. They're not, they can't afford their cost of living expenses. They can't afford to take care of their children. One of the things that I say, climate change policies has created something in the black community where Instead of you being able to work Monday to your Monday to Friday, you're working Monday to Wednesday. You're already broke and you're borrowing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> climate change policies have decimated black communities. And what I say is this, if it's the biggest exploitation game in history, because what you see happening is they're using climate change policies to exploit the black community like they've done everything else. The only difference is a green tinge. Primary yeah. concerns in minority communities, as you know, is building strong families. 
It's having schools that are not failing. It's low crime. That's not the concern. What you have is elite white liberals creating an agenda for African-Americans that they didn't ask for and telling us to fall in line and do it with their tool. They're prioritizing these green pathways and canopies over the real uh, concerns of minority communities, and that is to increase wealth, which climate change policies make sure you don't have. Wow. Well, then they, I think the Biden administration would argue that their implementation of things like diversity, equity, inclusion are what their what their solution is to help Black Americans. Uh, is that the savior for Black Americans? Is DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, <laughs> coming from the federal government? <laughs> Sorry, I'm having you know, trouble keeping a straight face. But. I mean, <laughs> it's difficult to comprehend their their uh, their uh, idea of diversity, equity, inclusion. What they've done is made sure that they had, you know. You don't have school districts in Chicago, Baltimore, Milwaukee, all failing, where you have 0% of the kids performing at grade level if it's not intentionally, okay? So what they do is create the problems for us, and then they claim to come around and do a carve-out for one or two of us while the rest of the community is destroyed. Everything about climate change policies and this, what this administration has done is to make sure they exclude as many people as they can from the for, from the american dream i have truck drivers that owned trucking companies they didn't just own their own trucks but they actually employed other truck drivers they created jobs in the community they created wealth they were able to take care of their families and the Clean Air Act by the EPA actually put all eight trucking company owners out of business. Wow. There are zero black trucking companies left in Los Angeles because of the EPA's, the EPA's climate change policy. Wow. This is the intended consequence. Every time you create a climate change policy and a regulation, what does it do? The impact on minority communities, minority businesses are four times greater than they are on everyone else. It favors large corporations, which minority-owned businesses don't fall into. So what it does is actually put those businesses out of business. When you go into a Black community, no, they don't own their own homes because, thanks to climate change policies that actually make the cost of building homes more expensive. The regulations uh, makes them more unaffordable. They don't own their own businesses because all the regulations directed at small businesses that actually create a bigger hardship on those businesses because they don't have the money. So they don't own their own home. They don't own their own business. They don't own anything in their communities. Nothing in the community. And so what, when you look, of course, you're going to have more poverty. The way to the middle class 
is home ownership. That's how you're able to pull money out to be able to start a small business, to be able to put your kids through college. And that's the one thing that they're, these climate change policies are making sure they deny minority communities. The cost of being able to own your own home, the cost of being able to, to create your own business. And that is not the unintended consequence, it's the intended consequence. There's a study done by the uh, Philadelphia uh, Federal Reserve, and they said that people who, black, when you give minorities ownership of a private vehicle, the wealth gap actually decreases. So what's the big push now? Electric vehicles that right. black people can't afford because it's not a one for one, it's a one for none. So they're making sure that people don't have their own private cars so that they have more access to more income. And if you look at Henry Ford, look what did Henry Ford do? He made the Model T affordable to everyone, which ends up creating the suburb. It created uh, the uh, hospitality industry and and what we're seeing happening now is the reverse because you have a vehicle that people are already priced out of and now you're taking away their ability to make a living. And that's very important if you're trying to help a community, but they're not trying to help us. They're trying to harm us and then they make their money off of saying that they're helping us. All right, let me push back on you there. You say it created the suburbs, it created the hospitality industry. The suburbs have been declared racist by Biden's Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation. Highways have been declared racist. And the hospitality industry is destroying the earth with all the travel and climate change. So I guess I guess what I'm saying is their ideology basically says everything you sort of were saying were good things. They're saying, no, we can't have that in this new great reset climate net zero world because all the things we created were bad and we're trying to undo it. Is that a fair assessment? And, and what does this bode for African-Americans today as they can, as they continue to dismantle this and our highways racist and our suburbs racist? <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, highways are not racist. Let's remember, <laughs> let's remember that when they made those highways, there were also white towns that didn't have an off-ramp either. This is what uh, businesses always, when they do a SWOT analysis and they look at the opportunity and the threat, they're always looking at what is going to happen to my business in the long run. So they're not racist. The second thing <laughs> is this. Everything the Biden administration is doing with these climate change policies is to, to diminish the standard of living and the quality of life for individuals. If you do that, you don't have zero population growth. You have negative population growth. That's what they want. And that's why they don't want people to have peace of mind is what you get from vacations. And you also actually explore and realize, you know what? You and I are more alike than we thought we were. The second thing is when you don't have enough space, then people, it takes a mental toll on individuals. I mean, 
They call it smart cities where they want to put everybody in these highly dense areas where they're all living in multi-generational housing on top of each other. I call them open air prisons because the effect is the same. When people don't have enough space, then they become more aggressive. They become more mentally challenged. And then you have some of the situations you have right now. So that's what they're creating. You know, it's a funny thing, but they did a study and, and it was actually in one of the in a couple of California areas where they created a map for these cities where they wanted everybody to be in these highly dense areas. And that if you took that map and put it on top of redlining, it was exactly the same. Wow. Exactly so the same. You know, I you call they call it the Green New Green New Deal. I call it the Green Jim Crow. I don't say they're racist, but if they did anything different, if they did, if they were, they wouldn't have to do a single thing different. Everything that they're doing right now is about creating unaffordability. And when you create unaffordability, you create poverty. That's why we have a shrinking middle class. And they were so good at this experiment with African-Americans that, that now they're trying to unleash it on the entire population. It's always affordability that increases the quality of life. The Model T was created 50 years after the automobile, but the Model T was available to every man. The other cars prior to that were only available to the rich. And kind of what like did you TV. have? Yeah. Yes. And what did you have? People like the Marriott's who started off with a stand on the side of the road that built the largest hoteler in the world. And this kind of creativity is available to everybody when people are able to unleash their talents. Wow. Um, I, had, as I went to George Mason University and one of my professors was Walter Williams, the economist. And I remember him drilling into students and also in his books explaining, you know, that African-Americans had the most intact families uh, with, I think, the highest teenage employment up until desegregation in the 1950s. And he talked about the effects of the, the great society on African-American communities. Can you just sort of lay out what happened to African-Americans, say, in the 1960s with Lyndon Johnson's great society? Um, because it was all done in the name, obviously, the Civil Rights Act. It was all done in the name, particularly the Great Society, to help African-Americans. Did it help them? And what were the impacts of that historically? Well, it was the exact opposite of that. You know, there was two professors that sat down and decided that we could help more African-Americans if we didn't have intact families. So what they came up with is that we split the families and then we can feed twice as many people or we can help twice as many people you know uh, when the government says they're here to here to help you should say no <laughs> and so what happened is when you destroyed the two-parent households uh, what you destroyed the community because what you have in a lot of what you're seeing in terms of crime in terms of high school rates in terms of uh, uh, the poverty it's because there's not two parent households. And, I, and, and on a humanistic uh, basis, think of it this way. I'm a child and the person who's supposed to love me the most, 
that looks like me is no longer in my life. So I have anger and I don't care about myself. So I'm not going to care about anyone else. And so what they what you see happening is these people who these kids that are crying out for help because they don't feel love. You have gang members that can capitalize on that. All of this is because the government measures the success of a poverty program based not upon how many people we get out of poverty, but how many people you service. So the motivation is to serve more, to create more poverty so that it can be more successful. That's the wrong direction to go because you'll not, we now have three generations of fatherless kids because we vilified the men in the community and said, they're the problem. And so now you have 70% of black households run by a single parent. But wait, it's coming to a neighborhood near you because why do you think they're now talking about toxic masculinity? Why is it that every time you look in a newspaper, um, if something happened, if it's a shooter, if it's a white straight male, it's front page because they're coming after your community since they've already figured out they can ruin our. There's two ways that you build the government war and the poor. And both of them are equally as lucrative for a lot of people. And so you have this military industrial complex that you need a war or conflict to be able to keep the money flowing. Poverty complex, just as lucrative. 85% of all the resources allocated for any poverty program goes to not the community. It goes to the administrators, NGOs, all of these people that have nothing to do with actually feeding or helping the people in the community. So that's why you see this steady flow of every time you turn around, there's uh, another program. I say we have too many programs. And the best thing that minority communities can say is no to those programs because they all come with contingencies that limit the assets that you can have. They say we'll help you in the long run in a short in the long run is long as you never do anything to help yourself. So they force you, force you. If you take any of that money, you are not allowed to invest. You are not allowed to save. You are not allowed to own any personal property. In fact, the asset limit, believe it or not, for a family, $3,000. And that's that includes your car, furniture, jewelry, cash on hand. So they make sure that you're never able to get out of poverty once you're in there. Wow. All right. We have to take a break. Uh, when we come back, I want to ask you about why African-Americans have traditionally voted overwhelmingly for the Democratic Party and why that may be changing. And also why Joe Biden says you ain't black if you voted for if you support Trump. So we'll ask you all that when we come back. We're talking with Donna Jackson, uh, Project 21 Director of Membership Development. Uh, this is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. We'll be right back after these messages. 
de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. So I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, because I'm doing a climate roundtable tomorrow. I'm assuming that the network that invited me on is probably the only network that's left around this part of the country that actually allows climate skeptics to be on. It'll be interesting because I'm sure there are going to be some people there to challenge me. In any case, when I walked into the hotel, the person at the front desk was from Adelaide, Australia, the city of churches. See, I learned something, right? And I got to thinking that maybe tomorrow I will spring on the people that are there for almost unprecedented climate events that have occurred around Australia that are very, very important around the climate. Now, not directly with Australia, but north of Australia, the typhoon season, despite the fact that we supposedly had an El Nino going, was way, way below normal. Third lowest ever. That's very unusual. And that was the first hint that this El Nino wasn't what it was cracked up to be. As a matter of fact, the Southern Oscillation Index, which is the longest running metric of the El Nino, never got into El Nino category this year until now. But that was unprecedented when you had what we call the Oceanic Nino Index being so strong. That's two unprecedented things. Number three, the crash that is occurring in the Southern Oscillation Index is going to be the greatest on record from January to February. In fact, it may be the greatest on record from one month to another. It is unprecedented to see January with an above SOI and then February crashing the way this is. Now, in 1978, we had a weak El Nino going and then it crashed in February. By the way, they had all those floods in Los Angeles in 78. How about that? The fourth thing, the unprecedented warming of the ocean just to the east of Australia in a month or two. See that? Tonight's climate and weather watchdog was all about Australia. It's because I ran into someone from Adelaide. This is TNT Climate. Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. Examining the issues. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. All right, we're continuing our discussion with Donna Jackson, Project 21 Director of Membership Development. Just real quick, give us a shout out. Tell us a little bit about your background and what Project 21 is and does and how long it's been around. Yes. Um, so I've always been a conservative, um, even though I've worked in in the private sector, in accounting and finance. Uh, I uh, worked for Ernst & Young. I was an auditor. Uh, I uh, was 
Deputy Controller and Vice President for Export-Import Bank and, and manage Marriott's tax provisions uh, for all of their international companies. Um, Project 21 is a free market uh, conservative think tank of Black conservatives who think that our side of the story is not echoed enough in the media, and we want to set the record straight. We believe in capitalism. We believe in free markets, and we believe in strong, intact, traditional families. And so I think that we believe in the American dream, and we want people to know that we're not trying to tear it down. We're trying to build this country up. All right. With that, then what's first of all, historically, why have African-Americans probably since FDR voted overwhelmingly for the Democratic Party? And I, and I want to say whether it was Ronald Reagan or George Bush or whoever it was, they almost, up until Donald Trump, things seem to be changing. But why is that? Why have they been so loyal at, traditionally with the Democratic Party? I think there was a stigma that, you know, people believed that somehow uh, the Republican Party was racist. We didn't do enough to do outreach or conservatives were racist. And we didn't do enough to actually uh, curtail that that narrative. I think that we don't actually go back and let people know the history that conservatives have had in making sure that African-Americans were free. We need to make sure that message is out. You know, they sang Lift Every Voice at the NFL. Do you know that that was actually a tribute to Abraham Lincoln's birthday? So that was a celebration of what Abraham Lincoln had contributed to this country. But we're so afraid to go out and do outreach. And I think that when they see that we come out in terms of policy by policy, that we're more in line with what the values of African-American communities are than what the liberals say, because everything they do is actually, everything that liberals do actually hurt African-Americans, push them further into uh, disarray and poverty. Conservatives 100% have the right message. And I think that what happened was that when you had President Trump, who I can tell you right now, that was the golden era for minorities, black communities. Um, he actually made a promise and he kept it. He fulfilled it. That was something that minorities hadn't seen in decades. And that's why his message is resonating with the minority communities. Now, I'm not saying who you can vote for because I'm, you know, uh, work for a nonprofit. But what I will say is this. Blue, we had a blue collar boom, which is what lower income individuals usually fall into. Our incomes were rising at a faster rate than the top 1%, 10% under President Trump's policies. Everything he did in terms of home ownership was Faster under President Trump. He actually funded historically black colleges at a greater rate than the first black president of the United States. He everything he did supported minority communities and their goal for prosperity. 
And just in just four years, we're seeing all of those gains reversed. And I think that what you see now with illegal immigration and the fact that whose communities are hurt, African-Americans, because their resources are gone, they're being displaced in their jobs. And in terms of uh, inflation, that is hurting purchasing power for minorities, the ability to buy a home, which is at a lower rate than the before the civil rights movement. They have are now waking up and seeing that conservative policies are better for them financially than liberal policies. Racism is not about you looking at me and saying a nasty word to me. It's does my family feel financially secure? Am I able to build wealth? Are my kids living in a healthy environment? High crime hurts minority communities more than anyone. All of these things are hurting and harming minority communities and all of the policies that President Trump put forth, irregardless of the way he spoke, actually led to the prosperity of minority communities. And that is what equality is about. The quality of your life and your standard of living, not if you look at me the wrong way or say a word I don't like. All right. Um, well, what, what did Biden mean when he said you ain't black if you support Donald Trump? Is that how would you react to that? <laughs> you know, uh, Biden has been saying racist things about black people for decades. <laughs> I mean, this just adds <laughs> it to his list. I mean, he didn't want his kids to be in race jungles. You know, he ran on the segregationist. Uh, when he first ran for Senate, he ran on a segregationist ticket. I mean, he's been doing this for decades. But, you know, there's this sense that somehow uh, minorities are owned by a certain wing of a certain party. And that's not true. We have minds. We can think. Uh, we know what we what works best for us. And the fact that he happens to bring that up. And I, I'll say this, you know, his experiment and and the so-called uh, making sure his uh, cabinet and his picks were the most diverse is not working. And I'm not saying because they're diverse candidates, because he deliberately picks people who didn't get the positions because of their merit. There's brilliant individuals out there of every race that can fill these positions, but he purposely gets ones that are less than uh, stellar so that people always think that the minorities cannot live up to the standards. You know, it used to be a time if you saw a African-American in a certain position, you said that person worked twice as hard and probably was smarter than everyone there because of all the obstacles they had to overcome. That was a proud thing. Today, they think, oh, you know what? They just got it because they checked a box. That's the worst thing you can do. I mean, I was so proud, but now I've been reduced to nothing. My entire career and everything I worked hard to build has been reduced to an asterisk. 
Because people will now think, oh, well, she just got the position because she checked the box. Not because I finished a my uh, bachelor's degree in two and a half years and graduated in the top 10 percentile. Not because I was Phi Beta Kappa. Not because I worked full time during the busy season when I was in college and got recruited by the four best accounting firms in the world. But people will still say, oh, well, she just got it because she checked the box. No, I got it because I worked hard and I earned it. And I never wanted anyone to think that somebody gave me anything. I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that I worked for it. And you know why? Because corporations don't hire people for charity. They hire people because they have problems and they want somebody to come along that can fix it. And that has solutions, not because they're just wanting somebody to stand in the position and maintain. I've never, I, every job I've taken was a job because they had a problem that they needed somebody to fix and they didn't know how to fix it. You know, I created process engineering. I created details and and the st standard operational procedures and how we should be able to automate this in order to make it profitable. And that is something that every person that's coming into a job should have. They should want to come in and see how we can contribute in order to make the country a better place. I wish people would start looking at people like Booker T. Washington. He said, own property, create industries, create intellect. See how you can contribute to make the world a better place. Not sit around and be angry and ask somebody what you owe me. Nobody owes you anything but opportunity, and if you don't take advantage of it, it's your fault, not someone else. You and only you are responsible for your success. All right, we only have about a minute and a half left. I wanted to get your thought on this. George Floyd happens. I don't want to get into you know what was accurate, what wasn't, but the reaction to that is corporate America and uh, the the uh, government bureaucracy, academia all want to help black people. So they defund the police. Uh, you know, the Biden administration starts defunding the police. The, the NFL kneels during the national anthem. They have end racism in the end zones. The Washington Redskins name was changed to the Washington uh, Commanders. Does all that help black people? You only have about 30 seconds uh, you know, for the legacy of George Floyd. Well, let me say this. Not a person, not one individual's grade point average went up because of it. <laughs> Nobody mastered math. Nobody mastered English. None of that was necessary. Corporations lost their way in committing death by suicide by creating policies with these DEI individuals that have no tie to the profit and loss of those industries. And now we're feeling that in our communities. All right. Well, thank you so much. Donna Jackson, Director of, Deve of Membership Development with Project 21. Thank you for joining Unleashed. This is Mark Morano signing off on TNT. We'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.